If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Romans. Matter of fact, go to Matthew. I'm sorry. Just had to change my Matthew chapter 6. We'll start at verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you and we praise you, God, for being God and being here with us, God. Help us to learn of you, to focus on you, God, and to surrender to you, God. In Jesus' name, we give you our hearts, our minds, and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, a very familiar passage. And most of us refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. But this pops in my mind. I think I know why. We're going to see as we keep going. But I remember, let's tell you a little story. I remember when I was, I can't remember exactly how old I was, maybe about 14, 15. And well, <clears throat> we used to go do these little basketball things and playing basketball. And some of y'all probably heard this before. It's just stuff God always remind me of, just to keep me humble. But we was on the little team, we traveling, doing basketball. And then at the end, I noticed a couple of times, it took me a minute to catch on. When the man come and he tell us, this guy, the church guy, come out, take us to other places. We go play basketball. We come back at the end. He always sit us down, give us a little message. And once he started making a team, he started making us pray. And the amazing thing happened. And one day we all circled up, and he asked one of my little partners who stayed in a couple of apartments down from me. It's like, this time you leading the prayer. And he started praying. And once he said by three words, everybody on the team started praying. And I'm sitting there and I'm bowing. I'm looking like, how is in the world do everybody know the same prayer? Like, this is amazing. Then it happened again the next week. It's like, man, this is awesome. Everybody know the exact same prayer. I could not believe it. And then one day, I got saved, and I started reading my Bible. And I opened up to Matthew chapter 6, so I made it there. And then I read this verse, starting at 6 and 6. We'll start at 6. It says, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. But when you pray, but be not ye therefore like unto them, for you, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our father, which art in heaven, Hollywood be thy name. Now, when I made it there, I started laughing. <laughs> Much like y'all doing right now. Because immediately I got flashed back to all them years ago. It's like, hey, man, that's what they were praying. <laughs> when the folk were praying. It's like, oh, so they weren't just praying like I thought you folks were saying. You just praying, you talk to God. That's what I learned. They were saying this. And I had absolutely no idea. And that made me realize something. I was illiterate. I could read. 
did pretty well at reading. Started reading at a pretty young age. But I was biblically illiterate. Meaning I didn't really know anything about the Bible. Because this is one of the most common passages there are. And I had no clue that it came from the Bible. Like I said, I heard this prayer over and over again. And I just was amazed. Like, them dudes could trick me. And told me some crazy. I had absolutely no idea, no clue what was going on. And another deal that happened. The big Knicks fan growing up. To me, Patrick Ewing was like one of the greatest players ever to lace it up. Between Ewing and Bernard King. It's a good Knicks fan. But in the mid-90s, the Knicks was always in the playoffs. And they got these crazy battles with the Indiana Pacers. I just get into it deep. Heart and soul and heart beat fast like I'm out there playing. Because I was really into it. But then I noticed something. Every time they go to Indiana, there was this dude who used to run around the stadium. And he had this big old sign. That's all he did. Just throughout the whole game. You just see this dude randomly pop up when they stand the crowd. He just ran around the stadium with this big super huge sign saying John 316. That's all it said. He just ran around, just around the whole stadium throughout the whole playoff. Like, what in the world is this dude? Hey, what is that? Had no idea. Then a crazy thing happened, messed my mind up. Got into wrestling a little bit. And that was this dude who came back, he cut his hair, stopped being a pretty boy, and came a gangster. They called him Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he started putting up a sign, talking about Austin 316. I'm like, hold up, man, where did all this 316 stuff come from? Like, I'm going to get me a sign, Zinc 316, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Completely clueless until what was going on. Until one day, I started reading my Bible. <laughs> well, it wasn't even my Bible. I stole my mom's Bible off the kitchen table next to her coffee pot. That's where it was. <laughs> and started reading that thing. And I realized these things got like names and numbers after them. So these are like references. So dude was out there trying to get people saved. He was giving Bible verses. And I was completely clueless. He couldn't help me because I had no idea. Now as I got older and I learned a little something, I recognized something. I'm not alone in my journey. There is a whole world of people just as ignorant as I was. I'm talking about like amazing. Because once God really brought me into the kingdom and I started going to church and started talking to people and I realized these people don't know the Bible. And Jay always tell the story. We young in the game. Jay a little bit older than me. I thought he was already in there when I came around. And I realized, okay, he, he pretty new too. But they had like, what it was, a bachelor party or something like that? A little bachelor party. And we was in there, and they started playing the Bible game. These are all the people who praying over us. Teaching us about Jesus, putting on events, going out to the college campuses, teaching Bible study. So we playing this Bible game. It's like, man, they're going to be deep. I'm excited just to see what I know because I've been reading now. My mama Bible ain't by the coffee stand no more. It's in my room. She got to come get it. <laughs> I've been reading. And we play the game. And they start doing stuff like filling the blanks and doing reference, quoting Bible scriptures. 
And when we go to tally up the scores, it was amazing. After about, say about three quarters of the way through it, it wasn't but two people standing. Me and Jay. <laughs> Everybody else was flunked out. We was going on and battling, going back and forth. And I ended up winning off of technicality. Yeah, it was off of technicality. It was a fill in the blank. I think at that time he started reading ESV not too long after that. And he used one word and I used the other word because I only read the King James and my word was right. <laughs> he got the right thing. He used the wrong version. So I won. But we got them all right. So he missed one. <laughs> and the other guys like three, four, five. Them, them the numbers. I'm like, hold up, man. How in the world can y'all teach the Bible in a little elementary game about what the Bible say? Y'all don't know it. And the newest dudes in here get the questions right. Like, how can this be possible? And as I grow and get the dialogue with people, I understand how it's possible. Because they don't read their Bible. And more than they don't read their Bible, they don't understand it. Because dude was a deacon in the church. We talking out the church in the parking lot. And he tell me, you know what I'm saying? I know the Bible said we fall down, but we get up. I'm like, man, that ain't the Bible. That's Dunham McClurkin. That's Dunham McClurkin. That's a popular song. Now, he sold a lot of albums off that one. But he wasn't quoting no scripture when he said that. And it gave me a frame of reference to understand that most people don't know what it is that they're talking about when they read their Bible. It's just we pick up little things as we go forth and we understand little bits and pieces. And so as we go through this journey of going forward, within the next, I guess I would say about two months or so, we're going to switch and transition. And what we're going to transition through to is Walking through the whole thing. Start at the beginning and make our way all the way to the end. And we're going to try to understand each and every book as an individual book and make a connection to the whole as we go forth. Because one thing that should not be said is that we don't know what this book is about. So that's that's what we're progressing to. It's the, it's the journey, walking through the whole thing. And before we get there, I guess this is why I brought it up. It's something I've been wrestling with in, in, in prayer and just going back and forth with God is how are we going to make this journey? So a question I got for y'all, then we're going to get down to my, my nuts and bolts is, as we go forth, will it be a help to you if I take my outline? Well, I ain't going to do it. I'm going to make <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to have to get approval from my elder and I know my elder he's very particular so if I send him something rough he's going to make it real pretty <laughs> and that's how you cheat see it's like the Bible says you dwell with your wife according to knowledge you dwell with your partners according to knowledge too <laughs> but would it help if I get my outline and print it out or post it on the website every week so you can see the, the, the rough structure of what we're going through as we go. Would that be a help or a guide to you? Uh, y'all want to be deep and write your own notes <laughs> and make your own outline. 
Huh? The way of the, the structure, just to give you the structure of each book and try to break down the section so you can understand what each section is re- referenced to and uh, just give a structure of what's going on so because sometimes I can go and I can get going and I can lose it because y'all might not believe this but most times when I give up I have a very structured detailed outline I'm talking about it, re- it get real deep sometimes but I mess up and I just scribble it down and I just let it all sit there you know, I get talking, it just all come out. So this will help me get my Cyclops glasses on so I can control that thing. <laughs> but would that help you as far as understanding the structure of each chapter and understanding the structure of each book as a guide? Would, would that, just by a show of hands, I, I mean, would that help? That means I got to do some work. Because the goal is to get understanding. And not just so that we can do like I was taught. I'm saying the Lord said there's going to be a highway in the middle of the, of the desert. And I tell you that the desert is Alabama State. And uh, <laughs> and, the, and the Lord going to do something on the interstate where people going to be getting off. And a whole lot of people going to get saved. See, I heard messages like that before. That's almost a ver- verbatim quote. That's horrible. The Bible don't say that. So the structure is just to give you an understanding so that when you go and read for yourself, you have a guide of what each thing, how it relates to the next and what it's going through. So that would help. So that's what, we, well, that's what we're gauging to and that's what we're going to. And what I'm going to do, the goal is to take everything we've been talking about for these last couple of years and show you how it fits into the full story of redemption. Are y'all understanding with me? All right, that's why I went there. Just get you so y'all won't be like me. So for the youngest, when y'all 15, you can understand. Not only you can say that I know what John 3.16 talking about, I know why they call it John N 3.16. <laughs> now, at the end of this thing, of this prayer, the time of transition, in verse 13, it got this prayer. It says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So in this prayer that Jesus told his disciples, this is how you pray. This is the prayer that they have. So in this prayer is a prayer for deliverance. They prayed to be delivered from evil and kept away from temptation. So what we're going to talk about today is what does it mean to be saved? Try to understand that word a little bit. What does it mean to be saved? Now we've been talking about how Salvation is from God alone. There is no other savior. There is no other way of salvation. Nobody else can save anybody when it comes to eternal salvation and redemption but Christ and Christ alone. That if you're a Buddhist and you continue in your way of Buddhism, you must meet Christ to be saved. There is no cosmic Christ. There is no back doorway into salvation. Christ and Christ alone is salvation. And we talked about how This is a part of the nature of God, that he names himself Savior. He names himself Redeemer. He brags on the fact that he can save. This is what he takes honor in. What he takes pride in is his his ability to save, his ability to deliver, his ability to redeem. So when we think about salvation, we have to keep all that in mind. It's only in Jesus, and God takes pride in it. He boasts in it. So whatever he say he can do according to salvation, it has to be real because he put his name on it and he tied his identity to it. His reputation is connected to his ability to save. So when we talk about salvation, what exactly does that mean? 
What does it mean to be saved? Now, in our New Testament Bible, it was written originally in the Greek language. And the word for salvation there is sozo, or sozo, if you're from the country. It's sozo. And what the word means is to deliver, to rescue, to make whole, or to heal. All of those are variations of that same word. Let's just show you a little bit. Go to uh, Matthew chapter 9. Over a little bit. Matthew chapter 9. Just to give you a couple of examples. And it's going to come into play as we go forward in our understanding. Verse 22. Matthew chapter 9. All right, we'll start at 21. Just back up just a little bit. This is the lady with the issue of blood. It says, for she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned about, and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that very hour. So now in that passage, you saw this word repeated over and over again. What was the word? Huh? Whole. Thou shalt be made whole. Woman, your faith hath made you whole. And the word that is used there as whole is the same word that we translate as saved. And you see the picture. She had an issue within herself. She was bleeding and couldn't stop. And her desire was to be healed from that issue. And not only healed from that issue, but to be restored back into the fellowship of the people. Because in her bleeding, that made her unclean. And she had to be separated from the temple and the rites and all that other stuff. So if she was to be healed, that would be restoration. And it would also be wholeness to her body. But what Jesus said is your faith has made you whole. There's a completion that has taken place. There's a healing. There's a restoration that went forth because of your faith. And that same word that is used for whole, we translate as to be saved. So a part of being saved, a part of being delivered, a part of being rescued is being whole. There's a restoration to it. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So you to be made whole is to be saved. And it goes to fixing that which is lacking and it goes to restoration. Go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Verse 23. It says, and this is concerning Jairus' daughter. So it says, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter, lie at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. So this is petitioning Jesus. Come and lay your hands on my daughter. She's about to die. If you lay your hands on her, she shall be healed. Now that word there for healed is the same word that is translated as saved. Sozo. So healing here is salvation. She's delivered from her sickness. She's delivered from death in this thing. But we translate it as being healed. So being made whole, being healed, all of these are, are references to being saved. These are synonyms for salvation. Are synonyms that is used to translate the same word that Jesus applies to us when he talks about he saved us. Are y'all tracking with me? So being made whole, being healed, these are the exact same words. You want to get deep? If you talk to Apostle Jay before, I'm pretty sure he told you about the blue letter. You can get in there and look the background words to those. And if you look at it, it's Sozo. Thank you, strong number G4982. Don't quote me on that. 
If I remember right, that's what it is. Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four, verse what I want. Eighteen. What hold on. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong book. Second Timothy chapter four, verse eighteen. Says, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is Paul's declaration. Said, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now that word in there, preserve, which means to keep, to protect, to carry on. That's the same word, sozo. So it means to make whole. It means to heal. It means to preserve or to keep. All of these things. And this is Paul's declaration. The Lord shall preserve me. And we understand this one a little bit because we use save in the same way. Let's like when uh, y'all mothers might do this more. When you, you when you find out somebody got something that they've been holding on to for forever and it need to be thrown away. You can ask the question. What you keeping that for? I mean, why are you holding on to it? But another one, you don't need to be saving all this junk. <laughs> That's what the way we say it. Because we understand that to save means to hold on to, to keep, to preserve, to store it up. And that's the way Paul used the word. All of these are synonyms for the one same Greek word that is sozo. So when we read in Romans that those who confess the Lord and believe in their heart, they shall be saved. That is the same word as you shall be made whole. You shall be rescued. You shall be healed. You shall be kept. All of these are one in the same word. Go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Verse. Chapter, start at verse 11. 11, 11. These things said he. Talking about Jesus. After that he said unto them. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples. Lord if he sleep he shall do well. Alright, so Lazarus, Jesus said he was asleep. And here, you read down, Jesus under, explained sleep to them. Because they didn't understand what he was saying. Lazarus was dead. Yeah, he, he was gone. It was over with. But the disciples made a response. Because when they thought that, we were talking about just sleeping and taking a nap. Like my children say, it's my remedy for everything. Go lay down and take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they thought. So they're like, oh, he's just sleeping it off. He'll be all right. And what they say, he shall do well. And what they meant by that, he going to get better. He going to recover. So whatever going on with Lazarus, we ain't got to worry about it. He going to take a nap and he going to get right. Now that word translated do well is the word sozo. It means to get better, to recover. So all of these are compacted in this one word that we use to refer to our salvation. To make whole, to heal, to keep or preserve, to restore or to recover. All of these things are things that we refer to when we're talking about our salvation. Are y'all tracking with me? So saved means to be made whole, to be healed, to be kept or preserved, to recover and to deliver. 
These, this is what Jesus promised to do to us. And we have to keep these definitions in mind as, as we go through the rest of the scriptures and the rest of the text because we run to some things where our natural understanding of salvation don't quite match up with these scriptural understandings and we begin to redefine terms and give them the religious connotations detached from the way that the scripture used them. We can't do that. We got to allow the scripture to speak for the scripture. So go. We're going to go through this a little bit. Tracking it all the way through. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18 verse 10. We're just going to track through a couple of scriptures. And what we're going to try to answer is this one question. Is who can be saved? Right? Who is Jesus saving? That's the question we're going to try to answer. Who can be saved? It says, take heed, this is Jesus speaking, that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to what? Save that which was lost. All right, then he goes into a parable about a sheep. So Jesus, talking about salvation, stated his purpose. This is why he came. The Son of Man is came to save that which was lost. Now, who is it that he came to save? The lost folks. So the question we have to answer in this to understand who can be saved is we got to know what it means to be lost. Like, what does it mean to be lost? Because the reason this question is significant is that if you are not lost, you do not qualify for salvation. Because that's what Jesus came to say. He didn't came to say found people. He came to say lost people. And in the parable that follows, he gives you what he means by we're lost. He gives you the parable of a sheep. Had the sheep, one went astray. Left the sheep to find the one. That's the picture. So the picture of the lost person is the one that went astray. Now, if you remember way back a couple months ago when we was talking about sin, one of the definitions that we said of sin is to transgress or to go astray or to err. So to be lost is to wander away from the path that God has set. It's to be doing something other than what it is that he desires and requires you to do. And you err, you go astray, you leave the fold. Salvation, I mean, sin is separation from God. So if you're in sin, you're separated from him. You're no longer a part of his flock. You're no longer a part of his kingdom. You're no longer a part of the household of God. You're separated. You've gone astray. So that means that you are lost. But the problem comes in is we do not see ourselves as being lost. We think that we understand what we got going on. And we think that we know what it is we're doing. I'm saying that God got path for everybody. You feel me? I'm saying I'm doing my thing. You do your thing with God. I'm saying our thing might not be the same thing, but we're doing our thing, and it's okay. As long as you got that mindset, you don't qualify for salvation because you ain't lost. It's only the lost people that salvation is for. Are y'all with me? Jesus came to say who? The lost. If you're in the fold, if you're in the flock, he ain't come to save you. Which means if you're deluded about where you stand with God, you're not going to get saved. 
So we have to be real and we have to be honest with ourselves. And let's call what we got going on what we got going on. If you lost, you lost. That's what it is. Ain't no need for no explanation. Ain't no need for no, no, no roundabout or going to try to make it seem what lost. If you lost, you lost. But if you lost, you need to rejoice because Jesus came to do what? Save you. So ain't nothing to hide. Let's go look at another one. Go to Matthew. I mean, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. We're going to skip that. 1 Timothy chapter 15. Jesus came to save the lost. Now, this is a famous passage right here. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Now, this is a very famous passage. It says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save what? Sinners of whom I am chief. Now, Jesus came to save the law and he came to save who? Sinners. And you notice another pattern in, in this. It goes back to what we was talking about a couple of weeks ago. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The Son of Man has come to save the lost. So the whole point of Jesus' coming is for the salvation. That's the whole reason he came. And if he ain't saving, he failed. If Jesus is not saving lost people in here, sinners, he failed. Because he's saying that's the reason he came into the world, to save sinners. This is a hard one for us to really grasp with in our modern day and age. Why I say it's a hard one? Because one of the hardest things for people to say in the context of talk about quote unquote religion, whatever that word means, is that I'm a sinner. They'll even tell you we all are sinners. They'll give you that. They even tell you, I sin. But when you make it real and you make it personal, they ain't no sinner. Because a sinner is a bad person. And I'm good. And as long as we got that hardness in us that you cannot be what you really are, Jesus ain't come to save you. Jesus came to save the lost. Jesus came to save sinners. So if you just got some issues going on that you need to work on, Jesus ain't come to save you. Saying if you just a person who makes some bad decisions sometimes, Jesus didn't come to save you. Because you're good. You know, you're not lost. You know what you're doing wrong. You just make some bad decisions sometimes. Jesus came to save sinners. So if you're still a good person, you know what I'm saying? I just, you know I'm saying, I got some issues that I'm, I'm dealing with. I might cheat on my wife every now and then, but I'm a good person. People say this. If you're still a good person, Jesus ain't came to save you. Jesus came to save sinners. And we have to be willing, if you're doing sin, to confess and say that I am a sinner. I do not deserve to be with the kingdom of God. I do not deserve to be labeled that good. I, this is who I am. But if you can say that, you can't rejoice. Why? Because Jesus can't do what? Save sinners. So lost people, folks who don't know what they got going on, you went away from the kingdom of God. Jesus came to save you. Sinners, Jesus came to save you. These are the people that Jesus came to save. Now watch, you're going to get a little more deeper. 
Huh? I just put them in two different groups. But are they two different groups? Like keep tracking with it. Go to Psalms. Now this one right here might be a little disrespectful. But Jesus, God said it, I did. Psalms 116. I guarantee you, some of y'all might be humble enough to put yourself in the other category. This right here is going to be a little tougher to put yourself in this category. Psalms 116, verse 5. 116. Psalms 116, verse 5. It says, Gracious is the Lord, and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. So the Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Now, when it talks about the Lord preserveth, if you look into the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they use that same word that we've been talking about, sozo. The Lord saves the simple. The Lord come for the lost, he come for the sinners, and he come for the simple. Now that word simple there, this word we still use somewhat in that way. Another uh, modern translation would be the slow. <laughs> Those who got a little stuff going on up there. That who Jesus came to save. Those who lack some mental capacity. Jesus came to save the lost, the sinners, and he said he preserves, he, he keeps, he saves the simple. And the reason that's been a little bit disrespectful because most of us don't think we're simple. We think we got this thing ain't quite figured out. I might be a sinner, I might be a little lost, but I ain't stupid. That's a hard one for us to say. But I have to think about this, and God had to reveal stuff like this to me. Because I thought I was smart too, until one day I realized, you dumb as... Is is a rock in some socks. <laughs> so man, it don't make no sense. I had to think of something real dumb. You see how dumb? I couldn't think of nothing that dumb. <laughs> and the reason I say so, because watch this. I'm going to show you how we simple. There's a guy who created life and understands the complete ins and outs of everything that is, everything that was, and everything that shall be. He know it all. And he tells you to do something. The guy that understands completely everything that is, everything that was, and everything that shall be. And we so dumb that we think that we can do something better than the person who created it, made it, and completely understand it. That sounds a bit simple to me. That seems a bit slow to you. It's like, man, I'm smarter than God. Now, we'll never utter those words. But God clearly tells us to do things that we understand. And we say, yes. I can read. I can comprehend. And we clearly go to do something completely opposite. And this is where the show enough slowness come in at. We think it's going to be Okay. <laughs> We think we can do it and escape all the stuff that God connected to it. Like, it's going to be cool. God said, these things are evil. These things going to destroy you. They're going to bring destruction to you. He's like, man, it's cool. It ain't that bad. I know what I'm saying. This is who I am. 
And we allow ourselves to be deceived by ourselves because we think we can do things that God has prohibited without getting things that God said go because of what he prohibited. We think we figured this thing out. And we can like outsmart God. No matter how slick you are in line, you still lying. And you can't get one over on God. And no matter how convinced you are that what you're doing is okay, God knows that it's not and he told you that it's not. And no matter how much rationale you got in your mind about why it's okay for you to do it, why it's okay for you to be this way, that don't make it right. Because you don't know. God knows. You don't understand. God understands. But you think that you're smarter than God. And it gets a little bit deeper. How we can be simple. Because that's an amazing thing. This is a story. I think it's in Second Chronicles. I can't recall. Maybe First Chronicles. About when God took the kingdom away from Solomon. And he gave the kingdom to his son. Alright. Solomon's son took the throne. Rehoboam. Rehoboam. However you say it. And the people came to him. and was like man your father was a hard taskmaster. He mistreated us very bad. But if you lessen some of our burdens. We will serve you. Now Rehoboam was smart. He went to the counselors. And the advisors of his father. Now just think about that. The Bible put Solomon up as being a pretty wise dude. And he had a team of people that advised him. So these people got to have a little bit of wisdom because they was advisors to the dude who we claim to be one of the wisest dudes. And he went to them dudes. The wise advisors. And they told him point by point what to do. And he said, okay. But then he did the dumbest thing he could ever did. He went to his homeboys and his partners, the ones he grew up with. And he asked them, hey man, what y'all think we should do? And they gave him some very bad advice. So he had the wise dudes who advised his father, the person who was supposed to be the wisest, the dudes he listened to, and he had the dudes his homeboy who he grew up with that was just as dumb as him. And he chose to listen to the folk he grew up with that was just as dumb as him. That's simple. Because you take the advice of the person who's in the same position as you are. And reject the advice of the people who led you and raised you. Uh oh. Just let that sit there for a second. Because it's amazing. This is this, this, this what we call being teenagers. And, and, and it's a cold word for teenagers is dumb. I'm sorry, teenagers. <laughs> All the rest of y'all teenagers too. reason I say that is because somehow we can conceive of a world where our parents have absolutely no clue of what go on in life. It's like they were born 40. <laughs> and no matter what it is that we're going through as teenagers, they can't possibly understand. And so the person who did it 
and, and, and I'm going to tell you the truth, teenager. They did it, and they did it wrong. Nine times out of ten times, lady, they did it wrong, but they did it. Try to tell you, you don't need to be doing that. And we dumb enough to respond that everybody doing it, as in everybody who like me. And we reject the wisdom of the folks who already did it and did it wrong. And accept the wisdom of the folks who ain't got no wisdom. That's, that's, that's a bit crazy, don't you think? But that's what teenagers do. And that's why they are sophomores. You still don't know what that means. <laughs> because it's simple to reject wisdom and take knowledge from those who have no knowledge and pattern your life after that. But that goes to us because the same frustrations that we have with our children, God should have towards us. Because we take the knowledge of fools and use that knowledge to, to judge what it is that God is saying. That's simple. I'm saying I know the Bible say but. Then you start selling something that somebody else didn't see. Or something that you picked up in a magazine. How you even go so deep that you take the wisdom of the world to teach you about how to live? You don't consult the dead on behalf of the living because they don't know what living is like. But we do these type of things and we expect to get God results when we taking information from ungodly people. They're teaching us how to live our lives. That's simple. We ain't that smart. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I'm saying you're trying to be holy and single. But you listen to Oprah more than you listen to Paul. That don't sound right. I'm going to leave Oprah alone. You listen to T.D. Jakes <laughs> more than you listen to Paul. Because Paul tells you to set your mind on things above. Paul tells you to think on that which is good which has virtue in it, which has all these other type of things. Paul tell you it's not good for a man to even touch a woman. That's what Paul tell you. But then James going to tell you that when you do good and you have a good day, you get alone in your bed and you set some soft music on, you put you some candles on, and you sip you a little wine and you enjoy yourself. That don't sound like you're thinking on things that are virtuous. I'm not making this up. I read this. <laughs> TDJ. Your pastor. <laughs> that don't sound wise. Because if I'm struggling with maintaining myself, why would I put myself in an atmosphere that put my mind on the things that I'm trying to keep myself from? Paul told me to put my mind on these things. He said, if you're single, you are there, you should be running hard for the Lord. That you ain't got no excuses. That you can go and you can serve the Lord. You be the Lord's slave. But Jake's tell him I need to take care of myself and I need to take time for myself and I need to reward myself. And you're going to reward yourself straight to hell. Why you say that? Because you're going to reward yourself in a predicament where you create the desires that you're trying to abstain from. And you're going to reward yourself to the point where you're so weak when that phone ring and that text come, you ain't going to be able to resist it. Because your mind is already there. 
And the crazy thing is, we so simple, we think we can do it. You ain't that smart. We think I can be, I'm saying, just friend. I'm saying, we can hang out. We're going to do Bible study. At home, alone, in my bedroom. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we're doing. We have Bible study. He needs some help. He needs some prayer. Oh, he been really going through some things. You know what I'm he partly just got shot. It, it just really, it been real rough time. <laughs> so I just told him, come over, cause the kids over there, grandparents' house, and I'm really focused right now. Cause we we can't, I can't really pray when the children around, cause they're gonna be. <laughs> Somebody did. <laughs> But that's what we do. And when God begins to speak, because God always provides us a way of escape. And we always get the, the, the Jacob syndrome. What I call the Jacob syndrome is when God gives you them pauses. Because when Jacob went to lie to his daddy, he got about five pauses in that thing. The daddy said, hold up. That's the voice of Jacob. I mean, you sound like Esau. I mean, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. That was a pause. He could say, you got me. So come, let me smell you. That was another pause. And every time he responded, his father give him another pause. Those were those times to escape. He kept getting them. Kept getting those pauses. And what he did in the midst of those pauses was thought of another lie to press on through. And when we get those pauses, when you'd have made them plans and you and you gotta come over for your prayer and Bible study because he'd been going through a rough time. You get those pauses and why you hurry up and clean up and you throwing draw in the in, in, in the dirty clothes room and all that other stuff that you got going on. I'm saying that walk down to the laundry room and throw the drawers up in there real quick because you're trying to get it, you get a pause. It's like, should I be doing this? Like, but I ain't gonna do that. We just, you know what I'm saying? You get them pauses. But you have the ability to justify yourself in the midst of them pauses because you think you're smart. And you think you to figure life out to the point where you can do what God told you not to do. And you're not gonna get the bad results. That somehow you're gonna beat the whole system. That's a lie. But it's okay that you're simple. It's alright. Why is it okay? Because God came to justify, I mean to preserve, to save, to deliver the simple. The only hard part is you got to realize that you are what? Once you get there, you're good. But as long as you think you're being God and you got this life figured out and you can do some things that God told you not to do, I'm saying, as long as you got that, you're okay. The brothers do it too. I can pick on them too. They're brothers and sisters. Just pause for a second. I wasn't supposed to stay this long on that point. But this is for the, 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 the internet audience. <laughs> I won't be thinking about them, but this is for the internet audience. Because y'all ain't none of y'all in here right here. There's this um, big movement of, of, of church and pastors and leaders in the country called Promise Keepers. Some of y'all probably heard about it. They have these big conferences where all these pastors get together and they're supposed to lift them up and help them be man. Now, what always come out of these conferences every year they release stats and st statistics is that one of the number one problems 
with men in ministry, with leaders of church, is they can't control themselves when it comes to pornography. These like big leaders of the church, nationwide world leaders, but when they get to these conferences and they open it up and things get to move and they got to confess and they get to confessing that, I cheat on my wife all the time, but it ain't with no other woman. It with that screen. And they be on them phones and in them laptops and in their offices at church doing things they ought not to be doing. And them folks, they simple too. Tell you how they simple. Because God speaks to, like I said, he always gives us that way of escape. He speaks, he gives you that pause. He tell you, hey, I understand you, 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 you're nationwide and you're doing all your ministry stuff, but you need a flip phone. You, you need a flip phone. You need to go down to AT&T and tell them to open up the vault, the one that come up like this. The screen got technical on it. That's the one you need. You don't need no HD or none of that stuff that can play videos. You, you just need that thing that flip up and the screen got technical. The only video that get played is that when that little AT&T sign spin around on that thing. <laughs> Them all the videos you need to get. God tell them that stuff. And they be smart. And they be like, yeah, but sir, Lord, I'm just, just. see, because they go to the conference. And conference, we always make up, make promises and lie to God. And so they come back. And what hit? This had to get deep. I'm saying, I need to go through my phone. Before I get rid of it and make sure I got everything out of it I need to get. Now you know what's on your phone. <laughs> you know what's in there. But somehow you got to justify it. You got to scroll through every picture and see. Because you know what's in there. You got to scroll through every video and see. Then you lie to yourself. It's like, hold up. I don't know what this video is. You know what's on that thing. <laughs> I need to see this before I delete it. This might be something good. I need to keep. That's that porn you've been watching every weekend, man. You know what that is. But that's those lies going in your head that you justify yourself. Because you think I can just look at this and make sure. Then I'm going to be back on the right track because I'm going to delete it. And as soon as you see it, your heart gets sucked in because you're trapped in that thing and you're bound. And now you're stuck again and come Sunday morning you're crying. God, please have mercy on me because I ain't going to ever do it again. You lying just like you lied last week. And why are you lying? Because you ain't willing to fess up and say I'm bound and I need some help. And whatever it takes, get me out of this thing. You're still trying to be you while not being you. You're trying to hold on to the things that is your identity and not willing to cut it off. Did Jesus tell you to pluck out your eyes and cut off your hand? He don't care about no phone. You do not care about an internet connection. Because that don't sound that severe. I can live without an internet connection. So if he goes to the point where he tells me that you got to hate even your own father and mother, you think he's going to cry because you say, oh, man, I'm a business man and I need internet. That's a lie. Jesus said, if you're not willing to give it all up for me, you ain't willing to be a part of my kingdom. He told dude, let the dead bury the dead. You don't go back and check on your folk. You know, you're talking about trying to maintain some business connection because you need to be on Instagram. Boy, you're on there looking at panties. You ain't making no business connections. I'm not supposed to stay that long on this thing. <laughs> but in the short run, that being simple. You being, you slow. But Jesus came to save the who? The lost, the sinners, and the slow folk. That include you and me, Ken folk. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be that long on that thing. Why y'all let me stay that long on that one? 
Go to Psalm 72. Psalm 72. Yeah, 72. Not 7 and 2, 72. All right, we'll start at verse 3. It says, The mountains shall bring peace to the people, and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy, and he shall break in pieces the oppressor. So he shall save the children of the who? Of the needy. He's going to deliver them. Now, what he means by needy there is those who are poor, those who are down, the oppressed. So God has in the part of his salvation that he's going to save the oppressed, the afflicted, the downcast in society. That's who Christ came to save. Go to Psalms chapter 18. Well, go to 34. Now, Psalms chapter 18, I was going to go there. That was another way of restating that he's going to save the afflicted or the poor of society. Psalms chapter 34. Psalms 34. Now, who Jesus going to say? Going to come up out of here. Now, watch this. We're going to tie it all together for you, Eric. Psalm 34, verse, what I want? 18. I'm going to start reading that right. 17. So the righteous cry, and the Lord hear it, and deliver it them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save it such as be of a contrite spirit. This is God. Sir, the righteous cry, and the Lord hear it, and deliver it them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save it such as be of a contrite spirit. So these are the people that God saved. He saved the lost. He saved the sinners. He saved the simple. He saved the poor, the downcast, the afflicted. And he saved the broken and contrite in heart. And now we're going to start making this thing come full circle and all the way around. Because I said, the Lord hears the cry of the righteous and he is nigh unto them who are of a broken heart and of a contrite spirit. That's who God is close to. So if you're a sinner, God came to save you. But he draw nigh to you, he draw nigh unto you when what? Once you're broken. And you realize the disaster that you are in. And once that disaster gets you to the point where you're willing to cry out to the Lord for deliverance, that's when he's gonna save you. It's only the brokenhearted that receives this salvation. He came to save the lost. He came to save the sinners. He will preserve the simple, but he will do that once you cry out unto him. When we look at the full picture of redemption, when God came to save the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, what did he tell Moses? He said, the cry of the people has come nigh unto me. Because they got to a point where they were afflicted and they began to pray and cry unto God. And that's when he responded. And that's a deep thing and it's a hard thing for us to grasp and to understand about the way God works. God doesn't always just simply respond to need. He don't always just respond to need. Because if he always just simply responded to need, he could not be able to make the statement, the poor you will have what you always. Because they need something. So God's life and his, his actions are not purely bent by need. But there's a call and there's a response and there's a crying out and there's a desperation of heart that God is looking for. And that's the time where he responds. Say he's going forth to and fro the earth looking to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. Those who trust in him. 
them the ones he's trying to show out. Because as he go throughout this earth, he's going to find plenty lost people. He's going to find plenty simple people, plenty sinners, plenty poor and desperate people that are afflicted. But most of those people will not receive salvation because most of those people ain't willing to humble themselves and cry out to God. And it goes the same way with us. Until you are at the point where you are broken, until you are at the point where you can honestly be who you are before God and cry out to him in desperation, you will not be saved. Because those are the people that God is nigh unto. And so as long as you got that pride and you got those reservations of your heart and some things that you just, you know what I'm saying, this is just who I am. And, you know what I'm saying, this is my struggle. Keep your struggle. Because as long as you're not willing to confess it and say it is what it is and cry out to God for help for it and be weak and be broken about it, he ain't going to save you. It's going to always be your struggle. Because he is nigh unto them who have a broken and a contrite heart. He saves the humble, the meek. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is the picture of redemption. And this is the salvation that God has for us. But it comes first with us being willing to humble ourselves. And anytime, if anything, God reveals any way in you that you have not completely surrendered your heart to him, let it go. And if you find within yourself a continuous struggle, a continuous cycle that you cannot break free from, that's a sign to you that it's something you have not completely surrendered. That's a sign to you that you got some stuff that you holding on to. You got some identity you pr- trying to preserve that you ain't completely let yourself go because God is nigh unto those who are broken. God is nigh unto those who are humble and God will hear the cry of the righteous. That's a promise that he made. And if we understand what we talked about last, we, we got to take it all the way deep because God takes pride in this stuff. And if God takes pride in his ability to save and you have poured your heart open to him in response to his word that you need his salvation and he leaves you in the state that He you in, he's not God. Because he's the one that said he can save you. He the one that bragged and boasts because there ain't no other savior but me. He the one that said he saves to the uttermost. He, he bragged about this stuff. So if you can go to him and could truly give your heart to him and still be in the same spot that you was in, he ain't God. Because he said he can do it. He said this is who he is, the savior, redeemer. All that other stuff that we be singing in them songs. And if you can sing them things and say you savior, you redeemer, but I'm still trapped in lust. I'm still bound by a lying heart. I'm still trapped in fear. And all these other things got a hold on me that I want to be free from. You can say you're not a savior. You're not a redeemer because you ain't saved me. And God ain't going to ever put you in a position where you can say that. Because he takes pride in it. God ain't going to ever let you be able to say, God, you ain't all the way God. You're a little bit God. Because you help me sometimes. But there are other times where I need you and I've been crying out to you and you couldn't deliver me because God made you a promise. He said, God, I really believed in you and I wanted to be free, but you wouldn't free me. You'll never be able to say that. Because this is who he is. And we have to get to the point where we're broken. Go to another. Go to Romans chapter 10. I'm going to finish this little part out. Matter of fact, we're doing another. Go to Mark chapter 16. It's the same point. I just want you to see it again. Mark chapter 16. Yeah, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. This is the Great Commission. That's what he said. 
said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So this is Jesus making a statement to his disciples. You go, you preach. Everybody that believes in and is baptized, they shall be saved. He gives you a promise. So the broken, the contrite, the believers, they shall be saved. This is God's promise. So there's no way possible for you to be a believer and not be saved. And what I caution you and thought I was going to get there, but y'all let me stay too long on the simple, so we're going to have to do it next week. But what I caution you to do is not redefine salvation to fit your life. What do I mean by that? Is you say, you say, you know what I'm saying? I'm saved. I'm a believer. I love the Lord. Got the spirit in me and all that good stuff. But then you see failure in you. And you somehow have to recalibrate your mind so that your life fits the definition of salvation. And what it means is so you adjust the definition to fit your life. So you allow room for, to be saved, whatever. You can be a saved angry person. You can be a saved liar. You can be a saved fornicator. I know old lady who gave a testimony. She was a saved um, porn star. Says she used to leave the studio and go straight to church. And says she got evangelistic. And would tell the people that recording and doing all the foolishness with her. Y'all need to come to church. Y'all need to get saved and give your life to the Lord. <laughs> Real testimony I listened to. I was like, hold up now. And she didn't see no conflict because she was faithful every Sunday morning in church. Even though every Saturday night she was recording explicit videos and bringing the people to church. This said she was bringing them, getting them in there. Going. She redefined saved to fit her life. Just like them folks, preachers and teachers, they some, some of them are some saved crooks. That's what they are. We had to do here in our own town. Openly sleeping with the members of his congregation. Contracted HIV. And was freely giving it out. But stood in the pulpit every Sunday to teach some people about Jesus. And when folks finally got out and he got rebuked for it, he got mad. Because that was his church. They couldn't kick him out of his church. He was a saved fornicator. And you can also say he was a saved murderer because he passed it around that day, HIV. But this is what we cannot do. We have to allow God to be God in us. So when we see something in ourselves and we understand that believers shall be saved, the humble shall be saved. Romans 10, those who call upon the Lord, they shall be saved. These are promises that we got. And the saved means he's going to make you whole. He's going to set you free. He's going to heal you. He's going to restore you and he's going to keep you. That's what it means. And we cannot allow our life to recalibrate the definition or redefine what we understand. Are we understanding? Because God is God and we need to hold him to his promises. We need to hold him to his word. We need to stand fast and make sure that he be God and allow him to demonstrate himself as God in our lives. Let's not let him off the hook. If we need him to score 100 points for us to win, let's pass it to him every time. 
Let not say, man, God tired. Oh, let him be tired. I'm saying God put some stuff on me. There's some things I got to do. No, you don't need to do nothing. Let God, let him do it all. Saying when I was little, I used to play the video game. And people get mad. And they say, man, you don't do nothing but the same move. Yes. You know why I kept doing the same move? Because it kept working. Even when I played basketball, I had about four moves I can do. That's it. And it hampered me because I started playing with real, real good players, and I realized I need more than four moves. But when I was playing with my peers, I ain't need but four moves. Because they couldn't stop it. The game get boring. Yes, it does. But I go to what works. And as a Christian, when it comes to life, now I ain't got but one move. Believe on Jesus. <laughs> That's the only move I got. Like, man, you saying life get hard, life get rough, how you did? Believe on Jesus. Man, I'm saying I got the job, I need you to do some stuff, and you going to be able to do it. Yeah, I believe on Jesus. I got to raise some kids, I got to love a wife. I can't figure all that stuff out. You know what I got to do? Believe on, that's my only move. One-dimensional prayer, like Bob Coos. I can go one way, baby. That's the only move I got in life. But the amazing thing is, that's the only move you need. Guarantee you're going to score every time as long as you believe. I guarantee you're going to defeat every enemy in your life as long as you believe. So we got one play. Pass the ball to Jesus. No matter what come to you. You at work, you got some stuff, they putting pressure on you. Take you a minute and pass the ball to Jesus. Feel yourself getting overwhelmed, stressed out, you're about to lose. Take you a minute. Pass the ball to Jesus. Children getting on your nerves. You're ready to snatch one on by the ear and drag them down the hall and put them outside. Take you a minute and pass the ball to Jesus. You're being overwhelmed because you've been trying to maintain and you have these times where you feel loneliness and all that stuff and they're getting the best of you. Take you a minute and pass the ball to Jesus. You can't do it. And more than that, he don't require you to do it because he enjoyed being the Savior. Jesus liked to shoot. He'll shoot out. He'll ball haul. The only thing he want to share with you is the victory. He don't take everything else now. But you get credit for winning. You don't score no baskets. You don't get no points. But you get credit for winning. Are y'all with me? So the only thing you need to do is believe. Because believers shall be saved. So whether or not you lost, simple. Only thing you need to do is humble yourself and believe. So no matter what category you put yourself in, you in all them categories. Because you still need to humble yourself and believe. Call upon the name of the Lord. And you shall be saved. And as we go into next week, we're going to get into detail. What does he save us from? What 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 word we get saved from? Anybody got any questions? What does redeem mean? Redeem, very good question. Redeem means to bring back or to buy back, to get something back. That's what it means to redeem something. What is a dominion? A dominion is a, a area of rule. It's like a king. He got his land, his castle. That's his dominion. Like your house. The houses you stay in and you run up and down the stairs all the time. That's Mr. Hampton's dominion. He got some rule and some power in there. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> when you love someone like, like say if you were married and then, if you were married and then like you like some, it was someone 
like kind of better than uh, um your wife. Do you cheat on them or not? That's a very good question, young man. I'm glad you're asking it now. That gives them understanding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You ready? Or you let mama finish fussing at you? <laughs> okay. Now, if you, once you get married, and if you see somebody that you quote unquote like better than your wife, that's your question. Do you, should you cheat on them for your wife? I mean, cheat on them instead of with your wife? That's your question? No, you cannot. Once you get married, what you're saying, once you make that vow, you're saying out of all the three, four billion women in the world, this is the only one I like, this is the only one I ever want to be with, and this is the only one I'm going to be with until the day that one of us die. But what, like, what if she's mean and you don't, Oh what if she start being mean and, and your wife you pick the bad one? If you pick the bad one, oh. <laughs> all right. If you pick a bad one, you ready? If you pick a bad one, you need to pray to God real hard that she become good because you can't go nowhere. You in there and you stuck. And this is this is your example. Now. God created some people and he, 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 he connected himself with them. And what did most people start doing? You think most people treat God nice? They don't. You think most people treat God in a very loving way? Nope, they don't. But God being God, do everything he can to show love and be loved to them people. And that's what the husband is supposed to do with the wife and vice versa. So if you pick a bad one, that means you can celebrate. You like, I get to be like God. I get to love somebody that hate me and show kindness to somebody that despitefully used me. I get to practice my scriptures and see if the Holy Spirit living inside of me. That's how you do it as a man. But what if it was some original dude that um beat on his wife? If it was an original dude that beat on his wife? What do you mean? Like, if he was married and he beat on his wife, but his wife like try to like when he beat beat on her she's like she was cheating on him before he started beating on her and when he started beating on her he's still cheating on she's still cheating on him okay so the wife would cheat and he got mad and started beating up no, you, sh- you should not beat up on your wife, hit your wife, abuse your wife in any way. The book of Malachi, he rebukes the people. And one of the reasons he rebuked them, he said he's going to judge them. He said, because you cover your wife with violence. So they were trying to beat up their wives, and God hated that. So you don't get mad and leave. You don't get mad and beat them up. You get Christian, and you love them, and you love them, and you love them. And if they never change, you still love them. But you pray like hard that they change. So that's why you need to take your time before you find yourself a wife. If you can't do that, don't get married. All right. <laughs> now, if you can't do that, now, if you think it's possible, if this woman starts cheating on me, I'm going to get married and boss inside it. Don't get married. <laughs> so I got, like, two questions. Go ahead. 
So like he was saying, what if it was like the other way around? The woman. And the woman was beating on on the uh, man. She was cheating on him, and then uh, I forgot what else. So does it work for a woman too, basically, if your question? Same thing for a woman. Once you get married and you say them vows, I will, I do, or however form of it, depending on how, the, how your pastor do it, what you're saying is, I'm with this person, and I'm going to be with them, and I'm going to love them, and I'm going to cherish them to God by death do us part. So you shouldn't beat them either. Women shouldn't beat up on the man either. You don't get no free pass because you're a woman. You don't beat up on your husband. You don't cheat on your husband. And if he get the beating up on you, you call me. <laughs> you leave. Call me, call your dad or some other man. You don't beat him up. <laughs> but God hates violence in relationships. And God hates divorce. That's what the book of Malachi, Malachi teaches us. That God don't like either one of those things. In adultery, he said, you will be punished to the uttermost. The marriage bed is honorable and all, but fornication, God will punish. So he going to do that. So you stay faithful. You stay loving. You stay kind. And even if the other one flips and they unkind and they unloving, you stay that way. You don't allow yourself to be hurt. You don't allow yourself to be put down, but that don't give you the right to just Freely need to mistreat this person because they done something. You call me or your dad. Don't you beat them up. <laughs> All right? But same thing for you. When some little slick talking joker coming to me, you get to smiling and feeling good and doing all that stuff and bang your eyes and being all nice, put your head down and all that stuff. Before you commit, if you ain't willing to stay for the rest of your life, if you ain't willing to say no other man in the world could make me feel like this man do. If you ain't willing to say if this joker gets fat and lazy and ugly, I'm still going to be with him. Don't you get married. <laughs> okay, so um, my second question. Oh, okay. So according to the Bible, so if you get married and then you get divorced, like, you can't get married again, right? Oh, girl, you're getting deep. Now you're going to make people mad at me. <laughs> you're getting deep. Now, according to the Bible, huh? Okay, I said, you, if you want to answer this for your daughter, I will let you do so. Now, prolong the time that people get mad. I already got enough stuff people get mad at me about. <laughs> Don't add to the list. But according to the Bible, in the teachings of Jesus, in the book of Matthew, and we got Paul in the first Corinthians. Like I said, Malachi re referenced it a couple times, and we got a couple other places where we glean from. Once you get married, that is for life. Death is the thing that abolishes marriage. That don't mean you get to kill your husband either now. <laughs> Make sure you get someone's death. Death, not murder. Death is the only thing that abolishes marriage. If you get a divorce, the biblical picture for a Christian is restoration. That the goal is to reunite and get that marriage back together. Jesus gives one caveat that we're going to get into. And he said, save for fornication. And we're going to go into more detail with that because some folk messed that up. 
But that's the only caveat you get. So once you in there, you in there. And you don't end your marriage. You allow God to end your marriage. And how he do that? Death, not murder. <laughs> but marriage is for life and it's forever. And once you get a divorce, if somehow you get a sorry lazy joker who ain't no Christian, don't got the spirit living in his heart and he mistreats you and abuse you and, and go on and be with somebody else, you seek reconciliation primarily. That's the heart of God. And if he get out there and get a wave file and then he violates those vows and violate everything else, then we can talk. But you just get tired because you don't like the way he leave your underwear all over the floor and his feet stink and all that stuff. You just on your own. So. <laughs> Any other questions? Go ahead. When you were talking about the um, reconciliation, I wanted to know where could I find that in the Bible? The reconciliation? Oh, the whole book. But one of the easiest places is the second Corinthians chapter five. But huh? Oh, you you talking about marriage reconciliation or life reconciliation? Second first Corinthians chapter seven. Yeah, first Corinthians chapter seven. They go all in detail about married and single and divorce and how you supposed to abstain yourself if you are single and what's the very advantages of being single versus marriage and the advantages of marriage versus single. Now, that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is all about. But you probably need to back up to chapter 6, probably about 15. That's what he lead into it when you talk about fornication and keeping your body. <clears throat> but 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Any other? So when you're talking about that word that means save, mm -hmm. how do you spell that word and how do you pronounce it? Sozo. Uh, the easiest way to do it is S-O-Z-O. -O. Yeah. How do you originally spell it? It's Greek. I know, but how do you spell it in Greek? So it's Sigma Omicron. <laughs> you don't got them things on your tablet. I do. But you can do S-O-D-Z-O. -O. Yeah, so, so. Why did God ask um, Solomon... Like, why did he let him be wise? Why did God let Solomon be like wise? Like, he asked him whatever he, like, wanted. Yes, he asked him, whatever you want, I'm going to honor you and give you whatever you desire. And what Solomon said is, I want to wisdom to judge your people. And that's where a lot of people go astray at, but they don't understand that thing. That God gave him specifically what he asked for. He asked for the wisdom to be a king and to judge the people and to do righteous judgments. Now, he could have expanded that thing and said, give me wisdom, be a great man. And we would have had a whole different Bible. What? No, why did he ask him that? Why did he ask him? God being nice sometimes. Does everything exist for God? Yes. So do bad things exist for God? God says that he evil used, the, he even has the day of evil for him. So everything is for him. The wicked and the good, God uses it all. If your husband dies and you marry his brother, are you marrying your family? Depends on how technical you want to be. In the technicality, yes, you are marrying your family, but biblically, it is something that was allowed. Now, in fact, if you go back far enough, that was the rule. That if you marry a man and he died before you can have a child, they give you the brother. Got another?
Mama, is it okay? I want to get you get, get you in trouble, with Mama. Now. <laughs> okay, so for scientists, like when they say like we're made out of this, we come from that, like DNA from a banana or something, <laughs> like, um, like so where did that come from? Because like I don't see it in the Bible. It is not in the Bible. Where it come from? If you dig down in history, you got a couple of different expressions of it. Now, in school, they're going to tell you it came from Charles Darwin, but that's not the complete truth. Because way hundreds and thousands of years before Darwin, there's this religion called Hinduism. And their understanding of the world is that everything that is, is God. And God is everything that is. So the way they understand the creation is that God began to allow himself to just float out there and as he floated out there, he began to form and change into all these different other things. So that's why they reverence trees and animals because they say all of these things are God. So that's where the original teaching of evolution come from is from Hinduism and some other forms of crazy spirituality. But this dude, Charles Darwin, who they're going to tell you about in school, he began, actually, it could be proven historically that he stole some of those concepts because his father, his grandfather was into all that new age stuff. And he got the great idea trying to understand creation in that everything that is comes from matter. So everything that is came from something else that is and that's the only way we get something. So the only way you can explain life like that is if everything just grows and replicates. So that's where they come from. And so he was smart and he saw that. On this island, there was a couple of birds, and they had different kind of beaks. And when drought came, only one kind of bird with one kind of beak survived. But he wasn't smart enough to say it was because all the other ones died. And the ones that died weren't having no children with the other beak. They just were dying. But that's a whole other thing. But that's where we get out. In school, when they teach you evolution, it traces back to Darwin. And that's the idea that the only thing that exists is matter. So they try to explain life without putting anything supernatural or anything spiritual in it. So they're saying that God just like, he jumped in on earth and just started floating? That's what the Hindus say. The Hindus say that God exists and he just started growing. He just started letting himself go out into the world. Now the evolutionists, the modern day evolutionists say there is no such thing as God and he ain't had nothing to do with this. It just all started happening by itself. That one time nothing bumped up against nothing and it created an explosion that made everything. But you let that make sense to you. Is God made of matter? Is God made of matter? No. But when Christ came down and he put himself in physical form, he became a man. So now in heaven, Christ still has his human body. So there is a matter that we refer to as God in heaven. All right, that's it. They're all yours.